All right, it's another episode of the Strong Calm Podcast. Calm, C-O-M, the root word that means together or in common. I use that word as a springboard to speak about communication. Host conversation about communication. Uh, the way we speak to ourselves and to others online and off. Community building, uh, how we use conversation to connect others through through values, shared sense of purpose. And when we link those two together, when we have those in place uh how those two things will build stronger company whether that's the company that you're building like a business or the company that you keep the people that you have around you and the person that i have around me today virtually anyway is nicole garvey and she is a counselor of soma counseling that is the name of her practice. Uh, and she uses a trauma-informed approach of befriending the body to heal the mind, this mind-body connection. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited to have her on today to talk about the three C's and anything else that might come up. So Nicole, welcome. Thank you. Okay, side note, it's not my practice, it's just my Instagram page. I don't have my own <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I don't want to be misleading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so that's great. So, and that's why I always want to introduce because who knows what Instagram has to tell you? you know, yeah. It's a. Uh, so, so tell me about. So introduce yourself. Okay. Yes. Um. So I have a little Instagram page that I actually don't really do much with because I'm not consistent. But, um, I work for a nonprofit called Next Step Community Solutions, and I oh, yeah. am a licensed professional counselor associate. I'm working towards um, becoming fully licensed. Um, but I work for Next Step and I've been working with them for about a year and we contract with public schools um, all across East Texas to be able to offer free counseling um, on school campuses um, to any kid whose parents uh, give them the consent to do it. So it's it's a pretty, pretty incredible um, organization because a lot of these kids are receiving mental health services and they've never even heard about what a counselor is. They've never been to counseling and probably never would have. Um, so, yeah. Love it. Love it. And um, I've had Brandon Davidson on the show in the past. Yeah. And he's the interim CEO. Is that right now? He, right now? Yeah. Yeah. He's the interim director. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, he, he, it was a great conversation. So those who've listened to the podcast before or haven't, uh, definitely check that out. Uh, yeah. with this conversation, I, I was really excited because one thing that, you know, um, I'm passionate about is the youth and because you mm -hmm. work with youth, uh, if it, you know, that just excites me to, to talk about what mental health means to young people, because yeah. even my generation, it's not like I'm very old, but still, um, as a 32 year old, if I were to think about counseling when I was in high school, it was, it was always like, you don't want to speak to the counselor. That's probably right. a bad, you, you know, you're a bad kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're not in a good situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I've grown and matured, I've learned that, um, counseling is just such a powerful thing for personal professional development, like mm -hmm. doing that work. Yeah. What could you what could you say about the value of counseling at any? Oh age? my gosh. Yeah. Well, I feel like especially in East Texas, I'm not originally from Texas. So living in East Texas has its own cultures, its own stigmas um around mental health. And so for a lot of these kids, um 
counseling to them, they use words like crazy or psycho, like people who, who go to counseling or see a therapist, um, have, are really, really messed up. And so there's that stigma that, um, that, oh, well, I'm not crazy, so I don't need to see a counselor. Um, and then there's also kind of the, the cultural beliefs that we don't talk about our problems outside of, um, our home. Um, that's not for strangers to know about. And so, you know, we're dealing with a lot of that, but to me, counseling and mental health services is no different than going to the doctor. You know, if you're having migraines, chronic migraines, or if you've broken an arm, or, you know, if you're having any kind of a physical issue, um, there's such a lack of education about the connection between the mind and the body. And so for me, I'm really trying to break it down for these kids in a way that they can understand that no, like, you know, the fact that you're crying all the time, like, um, a lot of these things that they're struggling with, like, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It doesn't even necessarily mean that you have depression. It's just that there is a connection with what's going on in your mind and, and how that expresses itself in your body. And, um, so yeah, I, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. Um, it, you know, talking about the cultural shift, you know, the, the shift in American culture towards mental health has been going into, a, a I would say, a positive connection because the communication around that has mm -hmm. been more, uh, it, there's never been, it, it's never been at the peak that it has, th that it is now, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. uh, and it's more and more common that it is common, you know, and that it is, it is more Mm -hmm. understood but i think that there is a sense of i agree with you like it is kind of like going to the doctor getting a checkup or what mm -hmm. have you but we also know that people don't really take care of their physical health anyway you yeah. know uh, you know myself included i'm a pretty mm -hmm. healthy guy but mm -hmm. you know you're gonna have to drag me it's gonna have to be bl bad for yeah. me to go to the doctor and and, and get a checkup yeah uh, because otherwise i'll be like give me some over the counter and i'll just rest today if i if i really have to right um not not to mention just the the mental fact but uh, another thing that you said that i i liked or that i see is that you know we always jump to and i think this is anybody we always jump to the crazy, the psycho. We jump to, well, I, you know, I'm not dying, so I'm not going to go mm -hmm. get physical treatment. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not, we self-diagnose ourselves a lot mm -hmm. based on whatever the, the fringe case is. When in reality, you know, there's still a lot of like smaller things that we could do to, that could be very, very beneficial. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that we are not in a hurry to, to confront those things or, yeah. or start taking small steps to kind of cause those shifts for ourselves. Yeah. Well, I think prevention is key and that's what, you know, next step really the part of their mission is, is about prevention um, so that we aren't waiting until we're hemorrhaging to get help. But I think what I see with my clients and just humans across the board is avoidance is our number one go-to coping mechanism for dealing with anything. Um, so when we have something difficult happening in our lives, when we're feeling some really big, difficult feelings, the number one human instinct is to avoid and to numb, to dissociate, um, and, and really to just kind of deny that it's there because that seems, 
it seems like the logical way to not have to deal with things, right? But it actually creates so much more tension and so much more suffering. The longer we avoid, the bigger the problems get. So that's what I, I try to talk to my my teenagers all the time is I, I try to help them understand that the behaviors that they're engaging in, you know, smoking weed or doing drugs or, you know, all this partying that they're doing, like, this is an avoidant strategy because what's what's going on underneath feels too hard. It feels too scary. It feels too vulnerable to talk about. Um, and so I, I just feel like that's kind of across the board, whether you're a teenager or, you know, you're a 65 year old person who, you know, is, uh, going through retirement, right. And all these things are coming up and, um, people don't want to deal with their stuff, <laughs> you know? Right. Right. And, and, and yeah. And I think it's just, it's fear because I think, you know, if you, if you parse it down it's just fear. And a lot of times we're not taught how to engage our fear. Um, fear feels scary. Right. And so we don't, we don't know how to embrace it. We don't know how to sit with it. We don't know how to, um, let it teach us. We just run from it. So. Mm. Mm. Totally. Uh, before we jump really into the kind of communication arena about how we communicate to ourselves about that fear and how we how we how we internalize some of these things uh i want to say that before before i get to this point so i don't forget Mm -hmm. um i I, i'm starting to ask this question to every guest uh before we open up and i want to ask you because i i just think it's um it can be instructive to how you have moved through your journey, because you're not doing this. You you have, you have your own personal experience that has that, that I would say fuels you, your, my words, not yours, but Mm -hmm. okay. And so how did Nicole get from where she is or from where she was to where she is today? And Mm -hmm. I know that that's a, you know, you can't parse that into a 20 minute, (laughs) a 30 minute, 60 minute conversation, but I, I just wanted to open the floor up to so how would you answer that question, Nicole? How did you get from where you were to where you are today in terms of your your shift? It's mm, a good question. So I trying to think of the most succinct way I want to answer this. What I love about my work is that I bring my own lived experiences and my own humanity to the relationship with my clients. I try very hard to stay away from being clinical and being like a robot across the desk that has all the answers and um, is is very separate from them. And so um, there are times where I will share parts of my story with my clients because I do have a long story of struggle and pain and trauma. And I have been through a lot of things personally in my life that have brought me to, to who I am and where I am today. Um, and so, you know, when I was younger, I always thought that I was going to be a missionary or a humanitarian, someone who maybe would travel the world and help people. Uh, and then for a while I thought maybe I'd be a teacher. Um, and then in my twenties and thirties, early thirties went through, um, just a lot of struggle 
and mistakes and, um, and so it wasn't until I had done very significant amounts of my own, uh, therapy and my own work that I realized, I think this is what I've been meant to do my whole life. And so, um, I decided to go back to grad school and pursue something that, um, felt very scary. I always had this idea that like, maybe someday I'd go to school to be a counselor once I've figured everything out and I'm like this perfect person. Like I wouldn't have said that to you, but that's definitely what I believe. Like I have to figure all my issues out first. And the great thing is that once you go to grad school and you start meeting your professors and you start meeting other counselors, you realize like they're just as much of a shit show as anyone else, but they're committed to doing the work. Right. And, mm. um, and, and they've done some of their work. It doesn't mean that they don't struggle or that they don't make mistakes. Um, they're just as human as the rest of us. And so, um, I, there was so much fear about going back to school and, and doing that, but, um, I just faced it and pushed through it. And, you know, here I am on the other side, um, doing the thing that for the first time in my life, I feel like this is what I was born to do. Um, and I had never experienced that in my whole life. Um, that's yeah. powerful. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that you, one thing that you said that I really like and want to highlight is, is, is that we, we try to figure out, we say, I'm going to do this when I get it figured out and mm -hmm. uh, when, when I'm perfect and I got it all handled, then, then I'll be able and equipped to help people. Yeah. But then you said that in your experience, you found out that, oh, well, everybody's dealing with their own share of shit yeah. that, you know, it, it never goes away. The, yeah. the, the stuff, the stuff just yeah. never goes away. We're always experiencing it. The difference is, and you said it, the commitment to doing the work. That's right. And, and I, I love that because that's really, that's really what it's all about is, is, mm -hmm. isn't it just the, the commitment mm -hmm. to saying, you know what, I know I got some stuff. Mm -hmm. It's time to get in the garden and start digging out the weeds and, yeah. and, and at least seeing like, Oh, that here, here's the problem. Mm -hmm. And then in that awareness, you really start to, to, figure out how to figure it out. That's right. Um, and it's, it's coming to, uh, we, I talked about this in the, in, in a previous, um, conversation last week of, of figure out those tools. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know how to, like, how, how, how can you, um, mm -hmm. start tilling the garden without the proper tools, mm -hmm. uh, of the trade. And it's like the only people who have these tools are the people who are committed to do the work and the, the, and for the public or for the people who are not, you know, um, in that commitment to service others, mm -hmm. uh, we, we don't have access necessarily to them um, unless our pain reaches a certain threshold and we say, hey, I do need help. Yeah. Um, so I guess when it comes to that, what are so next step is doing is kind of at least introducing and saying, Hey, this resource is here. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, you can do it, but what are some other ways that you think are, are important for communities to start that conversation and, and giving the opportunity for people to start navigating these things like, and, and getting, getting equipped with the tools that they need to do that work. I think education and advocacy are key because we don't know what we don't know, right? And so honestly, I, I, I've learned so much more um, that is practical 
and has been profound in my own life outside of grad school than I learned in grad school. Um, and that was because I went through my own suffering um, and, and struggles and I had to educate myself and I had to really um, learn what was going to work for me outside of just like this base knowledge that I had learned in school. And so for me, education is the open door to finding that freedom, that liberation, really getting the answers. So for me, what, what I, so much of my work is just about educating my clients um, and advocating for them and advocating um, to have resources so that um, they can be educated. Um, you would be shocked at the lack of education the kids in our public schools um, are receiving about their bodies, about their reproductive health, about relationships. Like, so that, I feel like that's kind of part of my, my passion is um, educating parents, educating the teens themselves, but really working with the parents um, to help them so that they can help their kids. Um, and I feel like maybe in a, in another season of life, that'll be what I'm able to kind of move into more. Um, because if you think about a community on a macro level, to me, the way that you really change that community is through the family system. And so that's what I'm really passionate about is, um, is really like, how can we impact individual families on a micro level? Because that's going to trickle out, um, for me in a more sustainable and kind of organic way than if I was able to like bring something more like larger, bigger scale. Um, so yeah, that's, that's yeah. kind of my perspective on that question. No, I love that. I love that. I think that is so true too, because, you know, you, you kind of have to do some level of hand to hand combat, uh, mm -hmm. so to speak, mm -hmm. to really, uh, start making those, those sweeping changes, you know, it, it, it starts with a spark, you know, yeah. and then it, it can, it can move through. Mm -hmm. Um, so to shift into the three, the three C's communication, where of course this, uh, it, it all kind of funnels into each other, like throughout the, the, this, this episode, this podcast, you know, they all kind of connect. We've already mentioned community and, mm -hmm. and that, that kind of thing, but to ask a specific question regarding communication, um, so how would, how would you say you introduce the con like some of these concepts to somebody who's, who's open, you know, how do you kind of introduce this to someone who has been, maybe it, it feels like a little depression or anxiety or, you know, Hey, I think I got some stuff going on and I've, I've heard these words yeah. float around that other people have. How do, how does one start kind of going on that journey? Um, and, and what, what are some of those first questions or topics or like, how do you start kind of uh, helping someone get a proper foundation for how to think through some of those things? Yeah. Well, I think language is important. Giving them the language to understand what their experience is. I think that's really kind of the first step. Um, we use assessments, you know, in counseling to kind of, um, give meaning to like their symptoms, um, kind of help them put into words, um, 
So I think language, giving them the language, teaching them. I mean, I have a, I have a feelings wheel that's color coded. And um, for a lot of these, especially even teenagers, we'll start with like, hey, can you identify a few words that describe how you're feeling right now that are that are different than like mad, sad or bad? Um, and so really like teaching them that language. Um, the, uh, I had another thing I was going to say and my mind just went blank. I, I think a big part of how we teach communication is helping people understand what their needs are. Um, so much of people's behaviors are just symptoms of unmet needs. And so when we can create self-awareness to help them honestly, and I think honesty is, is another big component of communication is, can I be honest with myself and admit that this unmet need for connection is driving me to act out X, Y, or Z? Um, you know, in, in, in a counseling session, all we're doing is communicating from one body to the other what we're feeling, what we're needing, what we're hoping for. Whether whether my clients realize that or not, that's what's happening. Um, sometimes it's very direct and sometimes it's very subconscious. They don't even realize that they're communicating something to me. And my job as the counselor is to be a mirror to what I see them communicating, what I feel they're trying to communicate and kind of hold it up for them and say, this is what I see. This is what I feel. It, is that true? Does that feel right for you? And, and watching that kind of light bulb go on. I had a, I had a teenage girl just the other day, we've been working with each other all year long and teenagers always want to just focus on the surface issues, the fighting, the boys, the drama, the, this or that, the school, the teachers, whatever. And it's, it's taken a whole year for her to finally understand that the reason, you know, she's smoking weed all the time and, and lying and cheating and doing all these things is, is because she's sad. I mean, it took a whole year for her to get to that point of really admitting honestly, like, oh yeah, I'm sad about my relationship with my mom. And so this is why I'm acting this way. Um, and so just that whole process, that whole year long of communication back and forth finally created that self-awareness for her to honestly be able to admit that to herself. And then once you're able to recognize it, then you're able to do something about it. Right. Mm. But, um, yes. Yeah. I love it. You said a few things there. So I just kind of want to parse a few of them out. Uh, language, of course, uh, yeah. with communication, of course, then comes language. And when in the context of young people, of course, vocabulary is is built like mm -hmm. you don't just you're not born with vocabulary and you know there's going to be you know some people lean that way of okay i can understand words others not so much mm -hmm. and so that language is so important the language is is the building blocks mm -hmm. for how we kind of relate to the world Mm -hmm. And it's always been a fascination for me as far as, you know, that's why I like to write and things like that. Um, when when we're talking about language and associating the thing that you said of like uh, assigning feelings, like mm -hmm. understanding what feelings are and things like that. The thing that popped to mind was when we're a kid and there's like the 
the the the mood circles it's like a yeah. green face it's happy you know uh, yeah, yellow caution yeah 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 they weren't emojis when we were kids but oh. they were you know just smiley faces signs. yeah smiley faces or the mad face and then yeah. that's when you knew that you're in trouble aaron goes yes. down to the red one aaron's in trouble yeah and so but like it made me think about how like okay so you know that was that was like a of course it's a way to kind of police a classroom uh it's also kind of like a uh aaron you're not you're not cutting it out. You know, you need to cut mm -hmm. it out. It's kind of a, a it's the traffic light, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but also, uh, it, it makes me think about how that is kind of projected upon us of like, mm -hmm. look, this is where you are. And um, kind of coming back to the avoidance thing, it's like, we all have the power to kind of assign ourselves where, we, where we're at. And mm -hmm. a lot of times, it's a subconscious thing that we have of like if i'm at green yellow or red and then sometimes it's conscious of like i'm, I'm happy today yeah um, you know and so uh, i guess kind of the question i'm framing up here is is how like how does it work where or is it possible that sometimes subconsciously we're red whereas and then consciously we try to kind of fake it till we make it at yeah. green and we like we paint ourselves green when in reality we're we're in the red totally um, so is there you know what do you think about that like i just kind of popped it into my mind yeah. that kind of that visual but you know is, is it about net like being honest in that navigation of wait you know you can paint yourself green all the mm -hmm. all you want yeah. but if you're red at the root it's yeah. not going to really matter. No, that's so much of what I'm working against with clients is that um, either it's like such strong denial, like, no, I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Right. And they're like total red, but they're just wanting to be in green so bad. Um, so it's either that, but um, I think that the, the key is for one, someone's not going to admit that they are completely struggling and that they are in the lowest of the lowest pit if they don't feel safe, if they don't feel um, truly like connected or valued or seen by another person. And so I, I feel like that's where a lot of faking comes in is because we're terrified that if we're honest with someone um, either they're not going to believe them or they're not going to know what to do or they're not going to be able to validate their emotions. And so that's why, you know, it takes so much longer for especially for youth um, to really feel like they're at a, a safe place um, with another human to admit, oh, you know what? My life isn't as great as I want to pretend it is. Right. So mm -hmm. I think safety is like the really huge missing piece that a lot of these kids don't have. Um, it's really sad how many kids I talk to where they try to tell their parents how they're feeling. They try to express to them what's going on. And it's just met either with silence or with shame um, or with anger because their parents are so dysregulated themselves. And so they don't know how to be emotionally available to them. And so they've learned, they've learned just to fake it, you know, and, and, and then we become adults who are so afraid to be honest and vulnerable that they're constantly faking it. Right. And I think a lot of it 
once it becomes like this, once, once it's become this pattern and a, and a, and a habit, it becomes a lifestyle of just learning to fake it and pretend and wearing this mask. Um, yeah. How do you go ahead? I think that was it. I think that's all I was going to okay. say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how do we, how do we parse through, you know, the emotions that we're feeling and the truth of the matter? Because like, you know, I can, you know, like feelings are feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times, and I can, I can speak from experience is that, you know, earlier when I, you know, we were supposed to have this conversation an hour ago mm-hmm. and uh, I was feeling a little stressed. I was yeah. like, oh gosh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm late, you know, to my own podcast here. This is not a good thing. You know, <laughs> like, what, what am I doing? What am I doing? And, uh, it, you know, I have that sense of frustration and, yeah, you know, that anxiety yeah. that, that those things going on. And at the same time, you know, it, like I, I was, I was moving fast. So I was speeding a little bit yeah. and, uh, you know, I had all the, that initial reaction, but I also knew I had to kind of take myself out and mm-hmm. say, you know what? It's Saturday. Mm-hmm. Nicole's fine. She yep. said she's fine. Yep. This is an elective, like, you know, yep. this is just, right. you know, all those yep. things. And so it helped me kind of calm down and dissociate from those feelings yeah. and say, you know what? It's really not that, it's not that big a deal, man. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah. that takes practice and that takes, you know, that level, you know, some level of awareness, yeah. still frustration, right. still all those things, but still, um, so like, what is the, how do we close that gap between what we're feeling and like, man, this feels terrible, but in reality, it, it, yeah. it isn't really that bad. How can we kind of cross that gap with, with how we speak to ourselves about like, this is the feeling that I'm happening. This is the, this is what's going on. And yeah. you know what? It's really not that bad when we view it objectively. How can we get to that place. Well, I always love to be really practical when I'm working with my kids and I try to explain to them what's happening physiologically in their body so that they feel like they have more of a sense of like a control or ownership of what's happening. And so I always try to explain to them like what's happening in their brain when they get upregulated. So I use the words upregulated or downregulated to give them that verbiage of what's happening. And I always explain to them like, there's this part of your brain back here that's, you know, and I try to put it into kids terms, but I'm like, it's like the animalistic part of your brain that lights up when you're feeling scared or angry. And so what we have to do is, you know, we have to give this part of your brain a chance to calm down so that this part of your brain, you know, your prefrontal cortex has a chance to, to come back online and help you calm down and think clearly. And so I teach them just a lot of like somatic practices, which mean just like, um, practices to do in the body. Um, and, and we can call them coping skills or, you know, whatever kind of word you want to give them. Um, but I teach them tons of different, um, approaches for giving them that, that, um, how do you, how do you, how do you want to put it into words? It's, it's just about give, building capacity for them to be able to t- take more ownership of their body. So like just the other day, um, I was talking about, um, this kid that really struggles with anger. And so I was teaching them like bilateral tapping, you know, um, next time you get really angry with one of your teachers, um, 
I want you, I want you to stop and do some bilateral tapping and give yourself a few minutes, right. To calm down before you are reactive and say something that's going to get you another referral, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so I think education, like no one taught me in my entire life, how my body works. Never, not in school, not at home. My doctors didn't. And so there's such a lack of understanding of what's even happening in us and to us. And so when we feel like our emotions just happen to us and like we don't have any control over them, that's a terrifying feeling. And I think a lot of people, they kind of just feel like, oh, well, I just have to ride the waves of whatever I'm thinking or whatever I'm feeling because I don't have control over it. When in fact, we have absolute control over it. Yes. Yes. Um, I love that. The upregulation, downregulation, that's some of that mm-hmm. language, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so when you can kind of continually bring that back up as, is, uh, you know, once you're aware of that, you can say, oh, I'm upregulated. Mm-hmm. Another thing that you said, the education piece of, you know, uh, the subconscious and conscious mind, which mm-hmm. uh, as adults or people who've done the, the learning understands that it is, you know, that the amygdala and Mm -hmm. prefrontal cortex. And Mm -hmm. what's, what's fascinating about what you do with youth is that like, I I understand that the prefrontal cortex isn't fully formed until you're like 25. Right. And, and so, and so you're as a, as a youth, you're really battling (laughs) like a vertical hill. Yeah, exactly. You you literally don't physically have the capacity to withstand. And so, it's even more difficult. And so, you know, double that on with everything else, you know, yeah. their environment and their context and lack of resources, man, mm-hmm. what a difficult situation. No yeah. wonder there's problems when these young adults become adults. Right. And so like, that is like, it, it just made me like, you just gave me a greater realization for the work that you're doing and that, uh, and that, uh, uh, oh gosh, my mind went blank. Um, next step. Next step. That next yeah. step does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for for kids, because you know, I I didn't know I was still developing a prefrontal cortex until I was yeah. like twenty eight, yeah, <laughs> not twenty five. Right. I was like, oh, it's already formed. I I wish <laughs> I knew that. You know. Well, and this is one of the things I am so passionate about is our teachers, our educators, um, administration in schools. They are not taught trauma-informed approach in within the schools and how to work with kids. The, and it's not their fault, but it's just not as much a part of their education as it should be. And I don't care how good of an educator you are. If you don't understand their human development and you don't understand how trauma affects kids, you're not going to be able to help them and, and really be that life-changing person as much as you could be. And, and so much of what I see in schools is these teachers that are underpaid, overworked, exhausted, and they are expecting things of these kids that they are physically not capable of. Right. And that's just like a normal kid growing up in like a normal home. That's not, you know, I work with a lot of low income, single parent uh, households and the things that these kids have experienced, um, heartbreaking. And, and the fact that they're still showing up to school, they may be skipping and and failing. The fact that they're still showing up to school shows incredible strength and resilience in them that I feel like kind of gets overlooked sometimes. 
Um, and so we just, we need more trauma informed education for yeah. our kids. And, sake. and I think, I think just kind of mindfulness and mm -hmm. the, the understanding that, Hey, we're all humans. We're not programmable machines. Yeah. And the emotional component is so important. And, it, you know, if it's personal development or I'm learning this in the context of a business, when you're just trying to lead a team, yeah. you're just trying to lead some, some, some adults to, yeah. to move freight or make a sale or anything right. like that. Like it's going to, you know, the, the foundation that you build as a young person, you know, when you're able to, to do that, when you're able to have that understanding is only going to help you mm -hmm. later on. And like mm -hmm. the, I don't know, just that human connection is so important. And it's becoming, you know, again, more popular, thankfully, or at least more um, common for companies to really take a better look at like, okay, how are we treating people? Yeah. And how are they experiencing life rather than just how they're doing their job? Well, and I think COVID, one of one of the the blessings that's come from it as much heartbreak as, as it's caused is the fact that there is more conversation around people's mental health and how we can support employer employees, um, even at a corporate level. And I think the toll that the pandemic has taken on people across the world is it's, we can't just overlook it anymore because it's literally affecting everyone, um, regardless of your position or your pay grade. And so, Thankfully, that is something that people are being more considerate about. Um, but no matter whether you're in a school or a corporation or whatever, you're dealing with humans and that's always going to be messy and it's always going to be difficult. And so, you know, as a counselor, I, I, I see people's behaviors or their performance. All of that is surface level, right? That's what we see above the water. But so much of, of what's going on in the background is people's personal lives, their traumas, their pains, their struggles. Right. And so, um, like, I, I just love what you're doing, that you're trying to bridge this gap so that even companies and communities, like they can understand, like we can't have health on a macro level, you know, in a, in a, in a business capacity, if we don't have health on a personal level. And so mm -hmm. it's just so important to really focus on that. And I think that the companies and, and the leaders who really see their organization as a bunch of just individual humans with their own personal lives and their own strengths and weaknesses, those are going to be the companies and the organizations that thrive. Because when you feel seen and known and cared about on a human level by your employer, your commitment and your loyalty is like unmatched, you know? And so I, I, I just hope that this focus on like really seeing people as individuals and really caring about their mental health continues. I, I think it will. And I especially just love millennials so much because <laughs> I just love this generation that is so passionate and so outspoken and so willing to like advocate for what they feel like is important. Um, it gives me hope about, you know, for my kids, what it's going to be like in 15 years. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm a millennial, so I'm, you know, I'm barely as one, I, but I, I identify. <laughs> like, you know, as as much as uh, you know, I'm outside the fishbowl. I'm so I'm so in the fishbowl. Yeah, you know, but I have seen just from learning from other people that I work with that are my age of how these things that our generation brings up would never come mm -hmm. up 
in the context of when we were younger or in the mm -hmm. business world. And mm -hmm. so it really does change the fabric of how you, how you navigate different situations. Um, yeah. Another thing before I, I ask a question regarding community would be, uh, you know, with counseling, the stigma that comes with, with counseling and, and some of the, you know, the self-work and uh, trauma, especially trauma. Like when we talk about language, like when we talk about trauma informed or, we talk about, um, you know, counseling in general, like these can be such loaded terms that yeah. can, can really, ne it, it, it still is a negative stigma associated with it. So like we automatically kind of go to this space of like, we go to the extremes kind of like we mentioned before. And one thing that I'm, you know, I'm really intrigued about and, uh, I, I know is is right and that that we agree on is that like this type of work is what equips you to perform like you just said yeah. like it, it it takes you into real true living of life mm -hmm. uh and it doesn't rob you from it mm -hmm. um so how do you think we can switch the conversation from the trauma and this type of work being really mm -hmm. uh, associated with victim type of mentality like mm -hmm. talking about millennials a lot of the hackneyed phrases there's like oh they're soft mm -hmm. they're you know all these things because we prioritize this type of conversation and and how it uh, takes place in the workplace or in our, our lives how can we shift it from victor type or a victim type mentality and, and association perception to a, a, a victor like I do this so I can perform not because I don't you know, because I'm a victim how can we go from victim to victor yeah that's an interesting question the, the thing that comes to mind I don't know if I'm if this is really the right answer <laughs> but is it's changing the way that we it's it's changing our perspective of what wellness means and looks like so if 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 we wanted to be more strengths focused right and less like um and use words that had more of a positive connotation um really it's about holistic wellness mind body emotion soul like what does it mean to be healthy as a society, you know, I think right now, like as a society, we think of healthiness as like, what's your BMI, you know, how much do you exercise? Um, what kind of food do you eat? Right. And that's, that's part of the physical aspect of it. But I think there's less focus on what it means to have a healthy mind, right. What it means to be emotionally healthy, um, what it means to have healthy relationships. Like that's not talked about as much. So I think if if communities and companies, you know, wanted to have more of a, a strength-based approach, it's more about just like how do we support overall wellness for individuals, for companies, for organizations. Um, you know, some 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 people uh they allow their employees to go take an hour break so they can go exercise at a gym they've paid for, right? That's incredible and that's really awesome. But like why can't they also like pay for them to go to a counselor once a month, you know, or why mm -hmm. can't they pay for them to like um, do some kind of like meditation or, you know, so I think it's like expanding our understanding of what wellness really looks like and normalizing that like 
maybe you don't struggle with your physical health, but maybe you struggle with more mental stuff, right? Emotional stuff. So like, let's support that as well and not, and make it more of like less stigmatized and like, oh, this is just like, this is a part of wellness. And so this is like part of your employee package. We're just going to offer this, right? Because this is just as important as like making sure that, you know, you don't have cancer, you know, it's like, it's just, yeah. Um, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I think well said, well said. Yeah. Especially when it comes to employee benefits, like the, yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, all right. So in the interest of time, I know you got some Mother's Day facility. Uh, yeah. My kids keep coming in and out. I'm so sorry. Yes, like no matter how much I threaten them, they just. <laughs> no, you're okay. You're okay. Um, I want to get this question in uh, as far as community goes. Uh, would love to hear your take on this question. It's called the village question. I ask it to every guest yeah. and it goes like this. Uh, imagine Nicole that somebody gives you a plot of land acres and acres and acres and they say Nicole we want you to develop a community on this plot of land and there's uh, two highways that are going you know north and south and east and west and what we're going to do is put billboards that are that are on the perimeter of this community to get people to to come to, okay. to come visit to to be here and uh, it's up to you to put a phrase, a word, uh, a motto, a mantra on these four billboards to attract your community, to to build your village. What four values, principles, what would you put on those boards? It's really a values, principles question, but yeah. I've kind of broadened it out to whatever. What would you put on there to attract that community? Oh, wow. That's a fun question that I feel unprepared for. Okay. Well, my basic values. Um Acceptance, safety, vulnerability, and connection. Mm. I love all those. All and that's just, words. you know, my personality fused with what I feel like are very basic human needs that people have. But yeah. Out of those four, what is the one that you're working on the most? Mm. Probably connection. Um, I've worked really hard on the other ones personally, and I feel like now that we're on the other side, so to speak, of the pandemic, the connection piece I lost a lot of during that time. Friendships changed or there was a lot of loneliness personally. And so... Um, I'm trying to kind of build that connection in my life again with others. And just to go one, one layer deeper, because I, I don't know, I just feel inspired to do so. Yeah. Um, what, what, what are you doing to, to, to make that happen? You're calling me out. Yeah. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> A little uh, bit. Yeah. But, but no, I'm just, that's good. I'm just curious. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I am, I have attempted to connect with um, other people that I work with, um, like offering to host things or kind of go out of my comfort zone and be like, hey, you want, you want to get together? Because um, I'm not, I'm not one to like initiate. It's, um, 
that's something I need to work on. So I'm trying to initiate more. Um, and I'm also being open to friendships that maybe I thought wouldn't pan out and be a certain kind of way, but I'm, I'm pursuing, um, being open to that. Um, what else am I doing? Yeah. I, I think the initiating and getting out of my comfort zone with certain relationships is something that I'm actively in process. Yeah. And awesome. doing well, something like this, like this is out of my comfort zone, you know? So yeah, saying yeah. yes, when I, when my gut reaction is to want to say no, um, but saying yes anyways, because it lines up with my higher values of what's important to me. Um, that's another thing. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I will we'll acknowledge you for that. You know, uh, <laughs> you are, you, you are, you're doing it already. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And the only reason I, was was kind of prying is just because I thought it would be fun, uh, to, to be honest. But <laughs> but also, <laughs> right, right. But but it's also like like what I what I also uh, want to do. It's it's like the the connection between our awareness of something, our acceptance of something that's there, right? Like like mm -hmm. that that's important. Like foundational you got to do that work what we've been talking about but it's also so important to connect it to okay what's the next action that i'm going to take based mm -hmm. on this work that i've done now mm -hmm. and so it's like it's it's always this okay well what's next what's gonna you know what what are we gonna do with this information yeah. and and to me that's kind of how we shift this conversation from okay I, i'm here and to 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 take away the to the stigma or maybe to to put the practical step in place of like mm -hmm. look this is what you can do once you do the work like yeah. like and and really get into that next portion of your life which is actually living like yeah. living how how you 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 would hope so um i, I appreciate like that. you giving that example because it's like okay like that that's one way that you would do that yeah. you would you would you would uh reach out and make new connections one of my favorite authors, Glennon Doyle, she has a podcast called We Can Do Hard Things. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but at the end mm -hmm. of every podcast, she's like, what's our next right thing? Like, what's our next hard thing that we're going to do? Um, and it's always something very practical, right? So I love that. That was well said. Thank you. Um, well, Nicole, thank you so much for your time. I think that's, uh, I, I think we can, we can maybe uh, rest it there. Is there anything else? Um, actually, I, I will, I will do this. Um, you know, the company piece, uh, we, we talked a little bit about business applications, but the company that you keep, uh, growing the company that you keep. And one thing that you just mentioned was a book, a resource, you know, uh, we can do hard things. What are some other resources, books, podcasts, videos, courses, what have you, what are some other ones that you would recommend to someone who's interested in kind of diving a little bit deeper into, uh, this type of world? So, I'm, I became very passionate about somatic therapy or somatic modalities um, during the pandemic when we were in quarantine and all I had to do was, you know, research. <laughs> um, so any like somatic experiencing is a modality that I really love and I'm excited about learning more and more about. Um, Luis Mojico, whose podcast I was on, he's a somatic experiencing therapist. And, um, I love to follow him on Instagram and listen to his podcast. Um, Peter Levine is kind of one of the forerunners in trauma therapy. And so anything by him, um, I love Brene Brown, who's like the, the godmother of, um, 
language and her her new book atlas of the heart and her hbo series i don't know if you've watched it atlas of the heart on hbo max is incredible Mm -hmm. and and just so down to earth and so understandable in the way that she communicates um so obviously she's one of my favorites um i i could send you a list it's pathetic um how many books like my addiction during the pandemic was buying books um so so i could go on forever but those those are just a few yeah yeah well i still have that addiction of buying books but yeah (laughs) doing my best to keep on reading them i i i you know my argument is that it's a it's a library i'm building a library of investment you know it's a reference i always you know i might not complete the book but i know where to find the answers when i need them i literally just found a book the other day i don't know where it's at um one of my heroes her name's byron katie and she's incredible if you've never heard of her you need to look her up um but i found one of her books that i bought during quarantine that i didn't even remember i bought and so i was looking at my bookshelf the other day and i was like "Ooh, it's like christmas like i got this new book i can read so i started reading it again you know um yeah it's it's a good addiction yeah um <laughs> real quick and i know it's not really a a, a real quick subject probably but somatic what is that Ooh, some okay, yeah. Sorry. So you you mentioned it earlier with the tap, like the tapping. Does that have so to do soma, with soma? Soma means body. Okay, so somatic therapy is if you think of a spectrum, there's talk therapy on one end of the spectrum, and then there's like more somatic therapies on the other. So talk therapy is very cognitive, right? Somatic is in the body. So it's 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 approaches that. Um, focus on what's happening in your body. What sensations are you feeling? It's almost like taking a journey through your body and discovering what are the sensations that you're feeling and what are they trying to speak to you? It's really about unearthing the wisdom that is in each and one of our bodies and allowing ourselves to get quiet enough to really listen to what our bodies need. So when I was going through like really bad anxiety during the pandemic, I worked with a somatic therapist. I also lost a friend to suicide um, and it was very traumatic. And so I had a lot of um, just trauma built up in my body and um, working with the somatic therapist was, it allowed me to really release trauma that I had been holding onto for years in a way that talk therapy had never been able to get me there. So there's different types. And um, one of the main ones is somatic experiencing. Um, It's a, it's like a graduate program you can go through and be licensed. Um, But I just have found in my personal experience um, that if we can start in our bodies and we can start listening to what our bodies are speaking, that's going to get us to that, that uh, completion of the cycle of trauma or the resolution of the trauma a lot faster than just talking about it or reliving it as we talk about it, you know? I love that. I love that. And I think it does uh, serve to kind of put a, put a tie on this too, uh, especially with kind of what I was, what I was getting at with the, with the connection point of like, Mm -hmm. what is that action? What is that next action? And, Mm -hmm. and one thing that I've learned is that a lot of times, you know, I'll, I'll think about going on a run uh, or I'll think about doing this or that. And I'll think about it and I'll think about it and I'll talk to myself about it and I'll try to talk myself into it. And it just doesn't work until yeah. I start to really put it in my body and start yeah. taking the the motion. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll sit on my couch for a while procrastinating and then but but if I can just walk to the desk and yeah. open the laptop or if I could just put on my shoes and get yeah. out the door like yeah. your 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 body starts to make the connection with the mind of 
yeah. no, we're doing this. We're yeah. doing this. We're yeah. doing this. And so uh, that's like a really powerful point of like, okay, well, when you're, you know, uh, when, when you've done that work that you need to do in the mental to mm-hmm. put it into practice and really make it a physical thing, mm-hmm. that's when that, that shift and that transformation can form. And as a counselor, I... I love somatic approaches because it takes it from I'm the counselor and I'm the expert and I know what you need to teaching another person. Your body's actually the expert on what it needs. Your body has all the wisdom you ever need. I'm just going to facilitate helping you learn to listen to it and feel safe in it and start responding to it because then eventually I'm out of the picture. You don't need me anymore because you have this built connection with your own body and you know how to listen to it and respond to it going forward. And to me, that's what counseling really is about, is helping empower our clients so that they don't need us anymore. They're empowered themselves. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And that is, uh, yeah, what, what a powerful thing. What a powerful thing mm-hmm. to equip somebody like that. Uh, excellent. Nicole, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for, for uh, joining me. It was a fun conversation. I think uh, much is to uh, be learned from this conversation, and I hope everyone uh, enjoyed it. So, Nicole, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your Mother's Day. Thank you. And, uh, have a great one. Everyone connect with Nicole on Instagram and big uh, props and respect and adulation for Next Step and the work they're doing. For sure.